I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sounds like you're you're holding a hot hand there. Yeah, we're live. We are live. Okay. He's got pocket aces over here. What's up? Have I told you the story of the very first time my wife watched The Return of the Jedi? No. Here we go. My wife is a wonderful person. She's incredibly complex. She's great. Um, she is just this great smorgasbord of contradictions and different cultures and all of it just meeting in like this one this one singular individual um so when we started dating she had never seen star wars period wow she's like in her mid-20s had never seen star wars and i was like i can't believe this you've got to be kidding me we need to change this immediately See, this is so great for you, though. This is like a whole project for you to work on. It is. Because you want to introduce someone to all of your obsessions in this curated way anyhow. You mm-hmm. don't want them to have, like, all these, like, wild opinions they just gathered at random before, you know, before they had a professional, like, laying things out for them, you know? Absolutely. She could have watched the prequels first, dude. She could have started with, like, Phantom Menace, you know? And you know what? I stopped that from happening. I was right. like, we're not watching the prequels. We're not starting there. We're going to start with the original trilogy, and we're going to go from there. So what do we do? We watch A New Hope. We start off with it. She's like, I love this. I love Obi-Wan. Chewbacca is totally awesome. I'm down for this. She has such a beautiful way. We got to just lay this out. The way she can just cut to the quick. Like, oh, she does. Cut to the heart of the matter in terms of how you might feel about any given situation, any given like piece of media, but you never know what angle she's going to come at. Exactly. Never can tell. You never can. Like I've told you the story about La La Land. (laughs) And yeah, anyway, we don't need to get into that story either. (laughs) Right. Um, So yeah, so we move on. It's fraught. (laughs) It is. Yeah. (laughs) We move on to Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, this is a really cold film. 
Love yeah. Billy D. Williams. Love Yoda. <laughs> sure. Okay. Darth Vader is the dad. Let's move on. We get to Return of the Jedi. Mm. Luke is in all of his heroic prowess. Han Solo is redeeming himself. And we're getting to like the climax of the film, right? Billy uh-huh. D. Williams is in the Millennium Falcon. He's in like, you know, he, he's traveling through the bowels of a Death Star. Oh, yeah. He's about to blow this sucker up. The rebels are on like the cusp of taking down the Empire. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Luke Skywalker is this close to saving his father, redeeming him back towards the light side, towards the light side of the force. Emperor Palpatine is going to kill him. He's going to murder him. And Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader, has to decide between whether or not he is going to save perhaps his his only living family member that he knows of or choose this old cackling man who's been his boss for like 20 years, right? Everything's coming together. Yes. Everything's hinging on this one emotional moment, this one yes. decision he has to make exactly. right here. Exactly. And the stakes just could not be they higher. They could not be higher, right? The emotional intensity of the situation, he's just being pressed to the absolute edge. Yes. yes. All right. Yeah. The fate of the mm-hmm. galaxy is at stake here. It's true, really. It yeah. really is. So we know what happens. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Return of the Jedi. Sorry. What happens is Darth <laughs> Vader picks up his old boss, chooses to save his son, throws his old boss, Emperor Palpatine, down the shaft of the Death Star, where Emperor Palpatine blows up and is never seen or heard from ever again. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. My wife watches that scene. And do you know what the first thing that she says out of her mouth? She utters three words. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) See, see. That's all she had to say, and she kind of instantly reframes it as, wait, all he had to do was pick up an extremely old man and throw him down this mile-long hole that just happens to be in his office. Of course, to us, it's the culmination of a saga. Of course. You know, father and son relationships, yes. patricide and, and evil, almost like conquering everything. And then, yes. you know, the good side of the force triumphing within this character at the last minute. And yeah. she's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> that was fucking easy. <laughs> When it came down to it, you know, that took like 15 seconds and they just cleared everything up, right? Why didn't he do that before? (laughs) It's extremely convenient. There are these giant holes to dispose of old people in this office. He could have used that any (laughs) time. See, you know, you want to know something funny, which is she hadn't seen the lord of the rings at the time at which we watched return oh, of the jedi no. and so as soon as she said that i knew she was one of those people that would say why didn't they fly the eagles into mordor right in the return of the king and also literally this 9 hour experience has been building up to someone dropping a piece of jewelry into some lava <laughs> oh man and that's the yeah. story of how my wife first watched the return of the jedi you know, she she keeps us humble, you know? She really does. She, she really Every does. time, man. Every time I am emotionally involved in some story, in some ma- amazing piece of, like, art 
or yeah. cinema on screen. She right. just brings me right back down to reality and is like, what is this that you're really into? Why are you getting so worked up over this? <laughs> Clean yourself up. Yeah. Did you, did you see how easy that was? Did you see how easily he did that? Come on. Come on. It couldn't have been that big a deal. I could have done that. <laughs> well... After that, I think uh, we got no choice but to start the show. Let's go ahead and get into this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. So happy to have you with us. This is a Season pod- finale! Season finale! Yeah! Boop, boop. Yes. <laughs> this is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my host, co-host, excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Alex Sinesi. Yeah, it sounded like for a second there you were just calling me a parasite. <laughs> or rather, you were the parasite, I guess. I think it's me, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's me. All right, all right. We can go with that. We can, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What are we talking about today, man? Dude, we're talking about episode 13 of yes. The Sopranos season one, I Dream of Jeannie Cusimano. Yes. The season finale. Oof. And uh, I mean, this is our first season finale, so I mean, we got to get into it. It's exciting. It's yeah. it's something you're always you're always hyped for. Even if you're like, oh, that show is trash. It's like, yeah, but it's the season finale. They're going to try some shit, you know? <laughs> they might pull s- a fast one on us. Like spring something on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Boy. so often that happens too, where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, especially if it's a bad show, they're just like, well, we had this one crazy idea. We might as well throw that out, you yes. know, just see yes. how that goes. Maybe that'll hook people for next season and then we can mm-hmm. get our shit together. Do you think that's what happened with this show? No, no. To me, this feels so deliberate. This Interesting. Okay. We'll get into it. I think there was some, like, sloppiness on the production side of things, just because, like, this episode is such a monumental ask of every department, of every actor, Mm -hmm. at the end of what I'm sure was a really long, grueling shoot to begin with. You know, they didn't have as much budget in season one. They didn't have as long of a schedule. And you can tell in this episode, it's like they are straining everything to the limit just to accomplish these scenes, Mm -hmm. I think. Okay. Um, and, and that dings the episode for me a little bit, but like, I, I still think you look at this and you see Chase just sort of paying off so many of the ideas he had, almost so many where it's like, with almost reckless abandon, he is resolving shit in this mm-hmm. episode. I mean, it, it goes so against what a season finale was in 1999. Fair. In 1999, I feel like we'd had this thing where the light serialization of television was always at its peak in the season finale where you would have this cliffhanger that would lead you into the next season. And it's like, that kind of started with, um, uh, apparently Doctor Who was kind Mm -hmm. of very, very first cliffhanger to end each season serialized show. And they were always trying to bring you back with uh, some sort of status quo being disrupted. And oftentimes in the season in between, they'd like recast the doctor, maybe recast his companions, whatever. But it sort of was the the originator there. And then in the US, I feel like it was more soap operas and then like primetime soaps kind of taking their formula, you know, and, and running with that. And then 
late 80s, early 90s, you had more like big dramas and big genre shows starting to do the cliffhanger end to a finale mm -hmm. that just like getting you with, oh man, all of this excitement is happening. This episode feels bigger than the, you know, average episode. And then right when everything's coming to a head, it smashes to black and you get to be continued. Right. Right. I mean, the super famous one is Best of Both Worlds, uh, Next Generation, Season mm. 3. I believe that was 1989 when they had, uh, you know, the famous cliffhanger in Season 3 where uh, Riker fires on the board That's cube right. with the card aboard. That's oh, right. Oh, God. I forgot all about that. Oh, man. Oh, I'll never forget. Never forget where you were <laughs> when the board cube was fired upon. <laughs> A lot of people still point that to that as the best cliffhanger ending of all time and uh, you know the form's been iterated upon since then but like i think i think that one was just so shocking and new mm. and it was it was taking it to such it, it was just such an escalation of that Fair. idea yeah yeah that i think people were literally like freaking out what am i gonna do all summer just knowing that <laughs> this incident's hanging in midair you know yeah dallas yeah. was another big one right Hushat oh, yeah, JR. the Hushaw JR. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of what I was talking about, like the, the sort of primetime soaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are tons of other examples Absolutely. across the 80s and such. And I always think of like the X-Files doing it a bunch for their season finales. And yeah, uh, but like you get to the Sopranos and it's like the confidence to totally break that mold. Yeah. And to resolve things, as we were talking about last time of doing sort of your climactic moment in the penultimate episode and then this episode really is just like taking an accounting of everything mm -hmm. it's all resolution yeah yeah should we get into the recap before yeah. we go any Why further not? yeah so yeah. again everything is pretty much coming to a close in this episode almost everything yeah so junior he gives the okay for jimmy altieri to be whacked that happens like almost within like the first five minutes of the episode we see Livia and her condition, again, continuing to worsen. It may also be some faking going on. Who knows? I think it's kind of um, ambiguous and hard to decipher at that point. You really can't tell because we know that she is so manipulative. The relationship between Tony and Melfi, it explodes after Melfi insinuates that Livia is the mastermind behind the attempt on Tony's life. Tony balks at the idea. He, you know... Uh, Essentially, he assaults Melfi, right? Like, he intimidates her to no end, and it's incredibly uh, frightening to see that. Easily, like, the scariest. It's the scariest Tony's that he's ever exactly. been. It's exactly. so intense, and yeah. they both play that moment. Just, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. perfect. Agreed. Yeah. When they reunite later um, in the episode, Tony's basically like, you need to get out of town. Um, people are after me, and they think the reason why they're the reason why they're after me is because they think that I'm snitching essentially to you. And so Melfi has no choice but to leave. Um, and that's one of the first, I think, um, uh, plot threads that's just kind of like left hanging. Like if this had been the mm -hmm. final episode and we never saw anything else, you would kind of wonder like whatever happened to this psychiatrist who was treating this guy, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, she she leaves. Um, another connection that is severed is when Carmela unloads with both barrels on Father Phil. It just oh. like delivers a stinging psychological profile. I think Melfi would have been proud of it. Um, and she just leaves Father Phil emotionally shattered. It's it's a great moment. I loved it. Such a good scene. I mean, he 
turns up the like smarmy parasitic behavior to 11 up until this scene and uh when she lets him have it it's it's incredible it's glorious it really feels like chase not leaving anything he's leaving it all on the dance floor like Mm -hmm. that scene basically ends their arc yeah because he never returns does he I, 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 he pops up a few times here and there, but it's just he's never uh, a character central, of any consequence right. again, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the case with a lot of these characters is that this is their their last hurrah and they, they hang around, they're in the atmosphere, but they're mm-hmm. not players on yeah. the stage anymore. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting how he had to recalibrate a ton of roles on this show just because of the extent to which characters arcs were sort of sealed off here yeah uh, i'm thinking of junior and livia mm-hmm. really too livia for certain for certain yeah. yeah despite a season's worth of denial tony he's confronted with the fact that the feds have been uh bugging green grove and that they know um that livia orchestrated the hit and they play back all of the recording and surveillance that they've been doing uh, directly to tony and so he has firsthand knowledge of the fact that livia was behind it all at the same time that this is happening, Artie Bucco, this, I think this is such a great slow burn moment because this was all the way back from the first episode, right? Like Tony blows up Vesuvio and then Artie is just completely in the dark. This poor guy is just kind of like toiling. His life has been like essentially destroyed. And, and then once he finds out that Tony was behind it all, because again, Livia has spilled the beans, he goes and he, he's thinking about killing Tony, which made me wonder, like, do you think this was Livia's second attempt? Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. All right. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into it with that scene, uh, mm-hmm. but it is interesting how much more effective this attempt yeah. was than mm-hmm. any other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we've already talked about John Ventimigli, but I will say, I think this is the best Artie Bucco episode yes. by far. Yes. I mean, his arc across it is so incredible. It's the the perfect illustration of everything that he is. Yeah. That he he goes through such insecurity into rage, and then it all just like turns inward, and he traps himself in this sort of dead end where he has to like shrink back into doing his normal job his normal life and and he becomes satisfied with it that's Mm -hmm. the funny thing is that (laughs) he comes right up to the edge of like blowing everything up and he realizes there's no way he can do that and that actually brings some sort of sense of peace over him right which i i find really funny and kind of depressing for him he loves big brother yeah yeah and there's no way he's going to, like, really get into it with Charmaine. No, not at all. That woman, she wears the pants in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. And the way he frames it to Father Phil when they're talking in the church, a, a great, great scene. He says, oh, I couldn't tell her about this rage boiling inside me. It would it would kill her. It would crush her to know how unhappy I am. So I'm just not going to do anything, and I'm just going to do exactly what she says. <laughs> it's right. It's Oh, man, so revealing. I know. <laughs> Such a good scene. Meanwhile, uh, Tony's on the warpath. He decides that, again, once he knows that Junior and Livia were behind the hit, behind the assassination attempt, he's just going to go ahead and, and, and mop things up. So he whacks one of Junior's goons, some dude named Chucky. I'm not even really sure if we knew who the guy was. I think he showed up. Maybe he was like... Of, he's at, at the, the end of the last episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But other than that, he was like a featured extra. Exactly. If that, like maybe sitting at a table with Junior. But yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think he had a line. 
Chucky, Chucky's out. Chucky's <laughs> he's, out. He's done. He's yeah. done. And uh, Christopher gets revenge on Mikey Palmisi. Guns him down. He and Polly in the forest, in the woods. Ugh, what an incredible scene. Such a great oh, scene. God. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta love it. We've said this about a few other scenes over the course of the this, this season, but this scene is really the Sopranos in a microcosm in that it's this high drama and this incredible absurdist comedy just like smashing up against each other in the same moment mm -hmm. where Christopher is so full of anger. He's so righteously angry and he cannot wait to get his revenge on this guy for killing his friend Brendan. And <laughs> Polly just utterly undercuts it by running into some poison ivy, freaking out, getting the first shot off on this guy, where Chris wants to make it this, like, really dramatic tableau where he's got the guy lying there bleeding, begging for his life. And Polly's like, oh, I can feel it itching already! And he starts shooting him. And it's so ridiculous. And it's just like, it, it renders everything absurd. And you realize that this is just, this is the world that they're in. It's like, things can't get but so dramatic before they butt up against something ridiculous. The poison ivy is golden. I only just now realize that he steals Christopher's thunder by shooting Mikey first. Yep. <laughs> That's so genius. <laughs> anyway, the indictments. Another great uh, storyline, another thread that's been woven through the season. Those finally arrive. Junior mm -hmm. gets arrested. A few of the other bosses or capos, I think, also are arrested. Junior, he does probably, which is like the most OG thing, like he could possibly do throughout the entire season. It's like the only OG thing that he does. The only, yeah, the only thing, thing. He actually yes. accomplishes, which is refusing to name names and just staying on the inside in the clink and just kind of serving out his time, just like a boss would. Those last shots of him uh, are great. Just with his giant glasses foregrounded in this sort of you know wide angle shot of his face. It's so, so awesome. It it really feels like a great denouement for the character mm -hmm. in, in so many ways, which is that he's confronted with the thing that he would kill to deny that he was never really the boss. That's just, that's put right in his face and he denies it. And as you say, in that way, does the one gangster thing he's done pretty much the entire time. It's just born of insecurity, right? Yeah. He's yeah. insecure the entire, and even here, when he could totally save himself, mm -hmm. the insecurity is just like, nope, I have to be this thing. People have to know that I was in control. And so, nope, I am going to ride this out. Yeah. 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 He He's laid this trap for himself perfectly yeah. across Oof. the entire season. I, I really like this arc because it really does stay true to the character. There's, there's no yeah. sort of change. There's no change of heart. There's no come to Jesus moment. He's just like, no, I am. I am burying myself even further into this lifestyle. So, yeah, yeah love it. That last close up on his face, man, it really had me thinking like mm -hmm. this might be one of the undersung performances in the history of television. He has been so amazing through this entire season and he's been so good at executing both the comedy and the drama and the way it just lands on his face in that last moment. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of funny just because of how insecure and pathetic he is, but there's so much pathos there too. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, man, what a amazing final grace note to just an incredible performance. Agreed. Agreed. The whole way through. 
So as the episode comes to a close, Tony, realizing that he cannot exact revenge on Junior, decides that he's going to go after Livia. He shows up at Greengrove with the intent to kill her, to smother her. Um, however, she also slips between his fingers because she has suffered a mysterious stroke. Oh. And she's transported to the hospital before he can reach her, or just as he's reaching her. Mm. Um, and I think that that whole sequence is great. I mean, we might as well just skip to it. Like, when he's saying, you know, hey, she's smiling, there's nothing wrong with her. Is she smiling? Is she not? I, I could never, the camera doesn't really pull in on her face at all, and so I feel like it's kind of hard to tell. They so beautifully selected angles where it was kind of ambiguous mm -hmm. if it was like an intentional smile, if she was mocking him, if it was mm -hmm. some sort of a rictus grin, exactly. or even if it was like some sort of odd fearful expression that was just like warped by the mask. You really can't quite tell. Uh, but it does from certain angles look like this triumphant smile to me. And mm -hmm. It's in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that is so perfectly Livia to me because all of her triumph will be grotesque yes. in its nature. That's just who she is. She is so twisted and so fucked up and so just, you know, wanting to like ruin other people around her so that they can share in her misery. Her greatest triumph will still just look like just, mm -hmm. just horrible. It will mm -hmm. be a horrifying display. Mm -hmm. One thing David Chase has said quite a bit is that Originally, when he pitched The Sopranos, and I assume this was the end of his like feature-length script that was then rewritten, his idea was that the end of the movie would be Tony smothering his mother. Right. He would kill her, and that that would be sort of like his descent into pure corruption, and that would be him throwing everything away and losing his soul in the process of triumphing over his adversary, who is, you know, his mother. His and you could say, well, did he pull back because he thought, well, in the chance there's another season, I want to use Nancy Marchand again because she's so remarkable. Did he feel like maybe the network would just freak out because it's too dark of a turn and they wanted to protect their investment? But I really think it was sort of the the best possible way that this could have turned out was that mm -hmm. he, after like living with all these people for this length of time, came to the realization that killing her would just be too much. And so he'll have Tony go to kill her and have it just like not work out in this weird comic fumbling strange but also very dramatic way and it's kind of the perfect note to end on it, it would is. have been a better note to end the movie on even yeah yeah i would agree yeah and it it just cements for me again sort of how much this season was in a way his complete vision for this story yeah you have tony grappling with his mother and his father's brother and the stakes are as high as they could possibly be. And it's sort of a situation where even though the show became more refined, more polished, larger scale in the seasons after this, there was never a conflict at the center of it that felt this emotionally vital, this mm -hmm. important to mm -hmm. Tony and to all the characters, really. Yeah. You really see how it's like he had this idea and this was how he stretched it out from a movie into a season, and then he had to recalibrate. Yeah. And I think that's why it just still stands out as such a strong work on its own. Basically, the episode ends with the entire, uh, the main cast um, and some of the secondary players at Vesuvio's, the new Vesuvio's, 
having a, a dinner, a meal, I'm at candlelight, and we see sort of the culmination of the the weather motif popping up towards the end. Oh, seen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the windy uh, tempest that showed up maybe two episodes ago and nobody knows anything that sure. continues through um, Isabella that comes to fruition in this episode where the thunderstorm arrives, you know, there's trees falling down, there's a torrential downpour, and, you know, amid all of this tempest that's going on outside, there's this family, this nuclear family. Some of it is biological and some of it is chosen, and um, that's where we leave off with the Soprano family. It's a great, great episode. It's such an interesting choice to end the show there, because David Chase obviously has so many sort of acerbic opinions about all of these characters and the ways that they choose to live their lives. And over the course of this episode, they're all sort of accepting things as they are. I feel like that's a big theme of this episode is that characters decide to accept the shit that they have already been dealing with as opposed to making a big change. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that Chase is definitely someone who looks at those sorts of decisions askance and is like, yeah, these people are not learning, they're not growing. But at the same time, that final note of the show is that, yeah, but at the same time, they have each other, they have their people, they mm -hmm. have their culture. And that ending is just, it's so cozy in it a way. Is you get that one little like moment that goes against it right at the very end after the toast where you have the lightning and thunder crash outside and then we cut to credits. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, there's always going to be this impending doom, but these people have a certain resilience just by drawing together, you know, by like just bringing it back to home, bringing it back to the sense of family, as you say, biological and chosen. Sure. And uh, they, they repeat that exact ending for seasons two and three and uh, uh they do that sort of uh more disturbing variant on it in the final season yeah, as well yeah. but uh yeah it's definitely something chase likes to come back to sure ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I, I mean, you're saying that you think Chase was trying to wrap it up as best as he possibly could i do think that he le that he left enough small threads to keep viewers wanting to watch in case that there was a season two you've got melfi and the biggest one is where was big pussy right well yeah but that's the thing man is like chase going out of this season thought 
Oh yeah, I mean it's fine. We didn't get to pussy, but you know he's a secondary character, and uh, we we finished everything else off. And then everyone was like, "No, what happened yeah, with exactly. him? Where's D- pussy? I mean, Steven Tyler wearing a where's <laughs> pussy T-shirt that I mean, apparently you- wasn't something he just like threw on. He had that in his top drawer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but it, do do we do we believe him when he says he says? And I, I remember watching an interview and he said like it was just like sloppy writing. And part of me goes just nah. Like it's you, you always left. tough to tell know, with him. I know. He's very shady about his motivations always. He but he did say that the feeling not just with him but with everybody was, man, we had such a great time just making this weird show with all of our friends, with all these people we know in Jersey, sort of like in our hometowns or like near sort of places that we're really familiar with. And we just had this like cool experience doing this and it's never going to happen again. Mm -hmm. This show's not getting picked up. It's not getting renewed. It's way too specific. Nobody's going to relate to this. You know, it was fun while it lasted. And he said that was the the prevailing attitude across the board. And he in particular was just like, yeah, I got to like do this and get it out of my system. And I'm probably Mm going to have to go back to making like shitty network TV after this. But let me at least like say what I want to say. So I I really do get that that vibe from this episode. Yeah, I'm not Uh, sure I'm convinced. Not sure. I'm, I'm a doubter, but that's okay. He's a very... I mean, he's obviously a very smart guy. He's very cagey. All of his moves feel strategic. So I think the fact that he left these threads hanging that he could pick up in season two so beautifully, it's it's not accidental. It's it's not not totally anyway. What'd you clock in this episode, man? It's funny. (laughs) We just you know went on about how effective this episode is, how many great like emotional moments there are. I mean, it's just a laundry list of incredible scenes, incredible dramatic moments. Um, But I would say that looking at it very objectively from a filmmaking standpoint compared to Nobody Knows Anything and Isabella, Isabella, Mm -hmm. this does feel more like a television season finale where it's like, We have this really big episode. We don't really have the time to get it all done. We're going to cram everything in, but it's not going to be as fluid and Mm -hmm. smooth and sort of as cinematic as those two episodes were. Yeah. There are a lot of like weird cuts in this episode. Uh, There's some odd transitions. There are like shots that don't quite line up. There's that really weird fade out after the first scene. Yeah, where it, it ends on Tony's face and it fades out for like two seconds and the the uh music track cuts out and then a new music track fades up very jarringly and it reminded me exactly of when you watch an old network show that the commercial breaks have been edited out of and mm-hmm. they do the like fade out fade back in mm-hmm. and you're like oh and and the score's at this point now because we're coming back from commercial right <laughs> and it really felt like that and i was like that is so strange that yeah made it in there yeah there's not a huge visual flair. Mm-hmm. It feels more like a workhorse episode. And I feel like the strengths yeah. are definitely found in the actor's performances and the script. And I think that that is really what makes the episode, which isn't to say that, you know, it wasn't directed well. It just, like you said, um, when it came to the previous two episodes, there's just so much rich content, so much great directing that this episode feels very steady. And I don't want to say sterile, but it just feels very composed compared to the previous two yeah some scenes feel a little more chopped up than Mm -hmm. you think they would be like with alan coulter 
with his incredibly fluid steady cam movements and he always has the camera sort of like glide through and land exactly where it needs to and this more just sort of like jumps around to different yeah. characters whenever it needs to but i mean i think i think a lot of the moments still hit yeah absolutely something i was thinking about was uh the scene where jimmy altieri gets killed they do a bunch of um post-production slow motion mm-hmm. which is where footage was shot at a normal 24 frames per second frame rate and then they slow it down in post which causes like a sort of blurring and smearing Mm -hmm. of the image that's something you really only get when you shoot something normal speed and then slow it down and i think the reason they did it a bunch in that scene is because my guess is that the blood effect when jimmy gets shot didn't look good at normal Uh, speed mm. and then they slowed it down and it's actually really gross and really Mm -hmm. effective and then they used it a few times before that when uh silvio comes into the room and it's a little odd yeah but i think they just threw it in there to sort of like prep you for the fact that 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 would be coming later yeah that there was that different type of shooting yeah and i noticed a few times where they seemed to do some like digital zooms or digital push-ins where it's just like they needed to give a shot a little something extra Which, you know, is all of these scenes are very effective. So I don't Mm -hmm. really hold it against the episode. I just look at it and be like, well, this isn't quite as incredibly well put together as something like Isabella. Right. It feels like every shot was so beautifully chosen and has just maximum flair and Mm -hmm. impact at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good, solid episode. It is. Nothing against it. The thing that John Patterson, the director, I don't know if we mentioned him, he, he'd also done episode four, Meadowlands, which was another really busy episode mm-hmm. where uh, you had Tony sort of figure out a way to make Junior the boss that would prevent violence while also not really like ceding any power of his own. And there were all these machinations, all this back and forth. And this episode resembles that one, I think, in terms of like how busy it is and how yeah. many characters are running around in different locations and accomplishing different goals. But like also like that episode, the strength of this one is really in the two person scenes. Yes. They brought in Patterson to do episode four. After basically yeah. it was like a, a three a three to four episode mini arc, you know, the pilot, and then you've got two, three, four. Then they brought him in again, basically to finish a three episode mini arc, which was Nobody Knows Anything, Isabella, and then Jeannie Cusumano, which I just thought that was interesting. Like, I guess that, like, I, I don't know if they, they figured that he was capable of pulling together all of those threads, just like you said, or if they had already thought about that uh, in advance. But I just thought that's an interesting uh, note for the season. Yeah, it seems like they saw that as the template and they were like, oh, this guy can execute the kind of episode that we need right now. Uh, You know, I wonder if David Chase didn't mull directing the episode himself at first mm-hmm. since he directed the pilot and he directed the last episode of the series which always to me seemed like a bit of like a big footing maneuver yeah. of like this was my thing i was mm-hmm. the author of this and just to prove it to you i'm gonna like direct the bookends just so you know just yeah so exactly you know. and i i do wonder if he considered it and schedule wise they just couldn't make it work to have him both be writing so much and also come in and direct because he is the sole credited writer on this episode, which is, I believe the first time that's happened in the season since 46 long. Mm, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. I think it's only those three. So I guess that's possibly still a new thing. I know there were hugely influential 
showrunners, executive producers on shows before this who definitely ran their writer's room with a certain, you know, dictatorial spirit. But this just feels like such an auteur television uh, revolution happening mm-hmm. here where he he really did want to be like, no, no, this is my movie that's playing on TV 13 weeks in a row. You right. Know? It's a great episode of television. It features all of our favorite characters. And you know who we didn't get the chance to talk about so far? Who's that? Miami Steve. <laughs> Miami East, Steve! East Street oh, Steve. man. <laughs> Little Steve. Stevie V. <laughs> Steven Van Zant, man. Silvio fucking Dante, The man. best. The best. What <laughs> can't you say about Silvio Dante and Steven Van Zant? What a character. What a steady hand. What a steady face. Just killing it through this whole season, man. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Every time this guy shows up, he is crushing it. Uh, I love that we're we're having a little spotlight for him here, and I feel like we've done some sort of spotlight on him in almost every episode. And we're like, no, no, in this one, we're really going to talk about him, man. We're really going to get down to brass tacks and get into it. And then we're just like, yeah, but I mean, he's the fucking best. What do you even say? What do you even say? There's not even too much really you can say about the guy. It's just he's awesome. That is yes. it. He's great. Yeah. Go ahead. We talked a little about this before, how he was one of David Chase's like finalists to play Tony fucking Soprano, to yeah. be the lead of this show. Yeah. And I had just read actually that apparently HBO was nervous about having a completely new mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the lead role in a show so mm-hmm. you know that's that's striking just in terms of like he was really seriously considering it to the point where the network was kind of like no you probably should yeah. have somebody who has more experience because I mean, he had no acting experience prior to this None. role, right yeah. and the fact that chase was going to cast him that's impressive right very impressive yeah yes but I, I see what he saw in him. I, I see how Chase would be so taken with the sort of honest swagger that yeah. he just possesses that you could not, like, extract from this person. It is so a part of him. And he said he cast him based on this speech he gave at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. inducting the Rascals. Did yeah. you watch that? I did not. Oh, man. It's great. Maybe Is we'll it? drop okay. in some audio of it. We might uh, have to. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna get hit with a copyright claim or something. But if we can, I'll try and drop something in right here. But basically, for ten straight minutes, it's just nothing but pure. Silvio Dante shtick from Let this me guy. Watch that. Oh yeah. He is up there performing, dude. Please welcome the wonderful Steve Van Zandt. Some people may not realize it, but the Rascals were the first rock band in the world. In the 50s, you know, we had vocal groups and uh, solo people, you know. And then in the 60s on the West Coast, uh, we had the Beach Boys, but yeah, they really were a vocal group and they became a band later, you know. 
We also had the Birds, but uh, McGuinn really did that first record by himself, and then they became a band later. <laughs> and okay, over there in England, some guys were making some noise. But uh, in the real world, in the center of the universe, New Jersey, the Rascals were the first band. Which is why I don't understand why it took so long to get into the Hall of Fame. His persona is so fully formed there that I totally get how Chase was like, I might just make this guy the lead. And when he couldn't do that, he was like, let me just write a character into this script that doesn't even exist yes. so he can be here. Yes. And we'll just keep giving him chances to, you know, score buckets. Man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I am falling in love with Van Sant all <laughs> over again, the same way that Chase fell in love with him. Yes. And he gave that speech for the Rascals. I mean, the guy, what, he grows up in Jersey. He's friends with Springsteen from, like, you know, the early years. Toured <laughs> with the E Street Band. Had his hands in so many different musical groups. Formed his own solo career. And I, I forget the name of the album, but essentially he released it in, like, the 80s. And I don't know if it's, like, Rolling Stone, whatever. Like, a, a music publication essentially, like, this is one of the top ten albums of either the year, I think it was the year, not the decade, but the year. And so, like, this guy was already a legend in his own right. And then he decided, I will just try my hand at acting. And he blows it out of the water with every scene that he is in. It is so awesome. Absolutely. I can't say, like, why didn't we just do every <laughs> pot about Stephen Van Zandt? <laughs> we could just call ourselves the Disciples of Soul. <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> and that's just it. It's just every episode is just worshiping at the altar of little Stevie V, man. Yeah, he fucking rules. He does. So great. I thought it was interesting, just a little thing. So he's the one who caps Jimmy Altieri in this. I thought it was kind of funny how, like, the first episode, Christopher whacks somebody, Polly shoots somebody at the beginning of a hit is a hit, and now... Silvio gets to kill somebody in this episode. It's like everybody in the crew got to shoot one person. It was very mm -hmm. democratic, you know? Yeah, exactly. You just got to make sure that each of them know, like, how hard they actually are. Just right, in exactly. case you doubted it, right? It's like, no, nah, don't worry, man. We're going to get you later, man. Right. You'll get your kill coming up, son. Don't worry. Uh, so, I don't know. It's just funny. What would you say was uh, the most notable scene for you? It's so tough. It's yeah. tough not to say... The Mikey Palmisi hit. It's just mm. so fucking funny mm -hmm. and dramatic, as mm -hmm. I was saying. And Al Sapiens has just been incredible this whole season. I yeah. love the moment that starts it off where he has this horrible final oh interaction God, with yeah. his wife, Jojo. Oh. <laughs> just in case you didn't think he was a douche before. Like no, not only do not only does he get into an argument with his wife, but then he jogs past a Rottweiler and the dog barks and growls at him. Just so you, in case you were wondering whether or not Mikey Palmisi is a redeemable human being, no. no he just no, has no, no, this no. stank like radiating off of him. Yeah. And uh, apparently, someone, someone was asked a question on one of these Sopranos podcasts of like, what actor took it the hardest when they were told they were going to die and they were like no question Al Sapienza wow. not, not just was he sad but he 
until the last minute, until they were shooting, was begging Chase, like, saying, like, maybe something could happen with this guy. Wow. He could get away. Oh. He could survive somehow. And and Chase was just like, like, Al, man, I'm sorry, but, like, Oof. this guy, he's got to go. He does. <laughs> you know? he, I mean, he's got nowhere to go after this. Like, he's no. got no rabbi. Like, Junior's in jail. Like, it's just not going to work. The guy's got to die. He's done. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's one of those guys where you're just like, he was not meant to, <laughs> no. to exist in this state, in this world, but no. for so long. No. <laughs> he's just too chaotic. Yeah. yeah. Too much of a wild card. That one's great, of course. It's it's a classic. But uh, my favorite uh, scene in the episode, though, for sure, is uh, Artie confronting Tony mm-hmm. with the hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. It's so funny how this was sort of Livia's final play, mm-hmm. her final chance to to make a move against her son. And it turns out to be the one that almost worked. Yeah. The one that came the closest. Anyway. Yeah, from the most unsuspecting person too, right? It really is. And she just, she pushed him that far. I thought it was really interesting in the scene where he meets with her. And she's just playing the dementia. This is a scene where it definitely, I would say she's faking it because it's so strategic and mm-hmm. she uses it to inflict maximum pain on mm-hmm. Artie. Yeah. Like the way she talks about his mother right after you know, he said she died and all this. And it's like, you can tell she's just enjoying like... <laughs> causing him to suffer for no reason but then he gives her this food and she's actually like she seems genuinely like happy to see him and excited that he's there excited for a bit of attention but the food is northern italian Uh, and when he uh, says oh yeah it's this duck ragu and it's northern and she's like ugh, mm -hmm, northern mm -hmm. because the people on this show are from southern italy Mm -hmm. and Southern Italy and Northern Italy, they got some bad blood. Yeah, I think yeah. it's not too dissimilar, probably, from the situation in this country. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this southern part of Italy is traditionally more rural and just culturally not as cosmopolitan and has always thought that the North looks down on them, just has such, like, ire for them. And and really, that's the funny thing is you think, oh, yeah, Italians, they have such a strong sense of, like, culture and community, but then you talk to them and they're like, no, there's pieces of shit from the North. I hate them most of all, you know? <laughs> like, uh, Furio gets into that all the time, how, oh, how right. much he fucking hates the Northerners. That's right. But I just thought it was so funny. Yeah, he gives her this Northern Italian cuisine, and that causes her to just scowl and shrivel up and that's when she says oh it was so nice of you to forgive my son for burning down your restaurant which like what kind of a fucking thing is that to even say exactly right trying to ruin someone yeah Yeah. it's a really good point it's just like that really does come out of nowhere you make a good point (laughs) it is not a conversation starter of no, any kind it was not. to be like, oh, remember that time my son <laughs> ripped away your most prized possession? How'd that go for you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. So it's just it just becomes such a showcase for both him, for Artie and for Tony, yeah. you know, uh, for John and Jim. They're both fucking amazing in that scene. I love the way that it's blocked and shot and pretty much everything about it. And I love that in the end, it's this thing, it's this classic Tony Soprano thing that he is able 
to lie so perfectly. Mm -hmm. He's able to just turn on like this soulful warmth in mm -hmm. his eyes when he's saying to to Artie, "I didn't touch your place, yeah. man." Yeah, that's the whole show. Mm -hmm. That's the the trick of the whole show that this guy just keeps getting you to, to believe fall him. in love with him yeah. all over again yeah. when you know he's awful. Yeah. You know, and you know he's just done something horrendous and then he can it's not even charm. It's like there's this this weird sort of emotional openness to mm -hmm. him where you just want him to give you a hug or something and yet you know he's he's got such rage in him. See he's so dangerous. Mm -hmm. He's so terrible mm -hmm. <laughs> you I know mean, he is a hypnotic cobra yeah like that is really like when that scene where he's talking with Artie, i just felt like he just hypnotized him like he just has this really warm almost i almost want to say it verges on being a little bit blank yeah it's almost blank and and, and he is just speaking in this soft just a very warm way and you're just like man he is just sucking this guy in and you almost think like Maybe Artie in some way just wants to believe it just because it means he won't have to actually pull the trigger. He totally does. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so he's just like, all right, fine, whatever. And it's one of the traits of individuals who are diagnosed with uh, antisocial personalities or that ability to be charming mm -hmm. and, and sociable and likable. But it's often manipulative and often just to the point of, of of gaining something i think that's that's very well depicted in this scene yeah it's so charismatic but always to a point of getting something from you yeah and then i love Artie in that last moment of pure impotent rage which is just his character to a t takes his pretty expensive looking hunting rifle and smashes it against his own car and breaks the gun and breaks his car a little bit and it's just like you know tony in his rage would destroy someone else's property but this guy just like wrecks two things at once of his own, of his own. Yeah. and then as he's going to get into the car he does this unbelievable move where he presses his hands to both sides of his head and it's so much yeah but in this moment it works so fucking well and it's this gesture he does he's so good with like body language and gesture and it's this gesture that is at once so funny and so full of pathos mm -hmm. yeah i just love it so uh yeah man what's what's your favorite scene man uh, i would say the uh, yeah the the assassination of mikey palmisi is without a doubt tense and then it becomes funny immediately. And then it becomes tense again. And then it is funny immediately. And I am so glad again. I am reiterating the fact that you pointed out that Paulie just steals it, just sweeps that gratification away from Christopher because that just makes the scene all the more funny for me. I appreciate it so much more now. So yeah, I, I love that scene. And then the other one that really stood out to me is when Tony discloses to the crew that he has been seeing a psychiatrist, that he's been seeing Melfi. One, because it feels very honest. I feel like it's one of the first times that he's actually honest with someone else aside from Melfi, and even though sometimes he BSs Melfi. But yeah, it feels like it's the first time really that he tries to be honest with someone else. He's, he's kind of vulnerable. You're not really sure how the crew is going to take it. 
it feels like they accept it even though they sort of disapprove like christopher clearly disapproves of it he just gets up and kind of walks out silvio just kind of seems even and i will say Polly does kind of seem like he's a little bit open to it and he gives again the budding up of pathos with humor which is when he says yeah i saw a therapist and i learned some coping skills like that's a great moment (laughs) what were those coping i know (laughs) and did you use them clearly not man clearly not yeah how did how did you arrive at that too with a therapist yeah what therapist would tell you like oh yeah paulie you don't need to see me anymore you kidding me he's a stone cold killer so that yeah that whole scene is great and i think the 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 last thing i'll say about it is when silvio says uh, just in reference to them being a unit and being a crew and being open for one another he says listen this thing of ours it would be better if we could admit to one another that these are painful stressful times and then he kind of pauses and then he says but it will never happen and you're just like yeah that is he is just closing the door on any type of emotional intimacy between them and i think it's something that it goes back to what it is that you had said maybe at the outset of this of the pod when it's just simply like these people are trapped by their own culture they cannot claw their way out of machismo and misogyny and toxic masculinity that is around them and that they inhabit all of the time so yeah yeah but Silvio gets so close. I know. He gets love, so close. He I love that so about close. it. Yeah. That he is the guy yep. who can get right up to the edge of actually letting that shit go. Mm-hmm. And yet he accepts mm-hmm. that it won't mm-hmm. and that he is stuck exactly where he is. It reminded me a lot of that scene where Christopher is asking about his arc in The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. Like, oh, he's yeah. right there, too. Like, he's on the verge of it, too. And there's another scene where, you know, we talked about where Christopher and Tony are talking about suicide. And they're both, like, they're both saying, yes, I, I have thought about this, but mm. I am not going to admit this to you. So there's multiple times throughout this season where these men come up to the cusp of being, of, of growth and change and becoming something better um, than they currently are, and they just choose not to. And it's sad. It's funny, but it's sad. As this show so often is so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. One other scene I just want to point out really quick. We had talked before about uh, how Lorraine Bracco had put forth uh, the episode The Legend of Tennessee Moltisante as her her Emmy consideration episode because she had more to do outside the office than that. But I really do think this is her best performance of the season. I think she's so incredible in all of the therapy scenes. I think the first scene where she says, all right, your life's in danger. I'm putting my cards on the table. I'm telling you what I think your mother is mm-hmm. and picking up that DSM-4 mm, to read yes. to him, which the I'm Bible. just like, oh, oh yes. Melfi, you yeah. are you are trying to stretch this guy's perspectives and I just don't think it's going to work out for you nope. <laughs> reading from that. Nope. And... Uh, when he explodes and throws that glass tabletop and gets up in her face and is spitting in her face. I mean, in that close-up, you see you're just saliva, like, flying into her mouth or face. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. he clearly was not holding anything back no. from uh, being as scary as fucking possible. And uh, I think it might be the best therapy scene in the entire series, honestly. I, mean, I would say so, yeah. 
you can't really imagine them pushing the relationship much farther than they do in this episode. And it's like, like you say, Melfi is a dangling thread for next season. And yet at the same time, I don't think Chase ever quite hit a high again with their relationship on a dramatic way like he did here. I mean, this is unbelievable stuff. And I love the weird sort of moments where they have therapy after that, where it's literally her sitting back at her desk and they're Mm -hmm. just sort of like testing the waters with each other. Like, can we even be in the same room right now? Mm -hmm. And not even about therapy anymore. Mm -hmm. It's more just like we're negotiating person to person. And that last one where he tells her she has to get out of town and she drops all the professionalism. And she's like, Jesus fucking Christ. I love that. It's such a beautiful, I love her, like her gesture there. It's so beautifully Italian and funny and I think that's a great scene because it feels like, like you said, it feels like two people in a room and it feels like it's a married couple having an argument, right? It does. Carm and and Tony have had scenes like this before, but this feels like it's the first time that Tony and Melfi are arguing like a couple. They've passed through their passionate early encounters Mm -hmm. and now they're at the point where they're like, okay, now we're really going to have a fight about money, essentially, (laughs) is the feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. And I also think that it's just a a great scene. I think you're right. It it has all of the intensity. um, But then also I think Melfi, she scores a big one because she's been trying to get him to recognize that he hates his mom and fears his mom but loves his mom and wants to be a good son to his mom. Um, all at the same time. And I think she finally like breaks through um, and gets him to at least have that level of insight, um, even if it's not something that he wants to accept with her. He only accepts it once the feds actually confirm that she was right the whole time. Right. But I mean, this is just a feedback loop of her telling him what he's already told her. Like, that's the reason she knows all this mm-hmm. about his mom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's just trying to get him to see what he already knows but doesn't want to accept exactly so what are your episode rankings are we going to do this oh yeah let's do it we're ranking every episode of the season i don't know man i'm i'm just simple like this i i love lists i love seeing other people's lists i know this is all art it's all subjective and it's not a fucking horse race but uh at the same time i love i love just hearing what people's favorites are because to me that always digs into someone's excitement about something where they got the most enjoyment and just Mm -hmm. seeing like oh that's what really connected for you that's cool man Mm -hmm. you know and uh then of course we also always have that fun outrage of wait you listed that that low what the fuck man (laughs) you know but uh i don't know i don't think they're gonna be any huge surprises here i think we know we doing this yeah man all right do you want me to go first uh up to you you man go first uh i'll go first i I got it right here okay so At number 13 out of 13, (laughs) it's funny, listeners, before we got to the episode, I really was thinking, oh, this is back and forth between maybe one or two, you know? There there might be a few that I could say would be my least favorite of the season, but this podcast has just elucidated so much. It has made... It's so fucking clear in the recording of the episode that the bottom the rock bottom is indisputably a hit is a hit fuck that episode 
strike it from the record, man. Strike it from the record. Seriously. Amen. All right. To to move on. Number 12, Down Neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an episode I don't really care for. But uh, I had thought, honestly, that that could have been my bottom. But now now looking at it, I'm like, no, nah, no. It's It's got stuff in it, at least. Mm-hmm. It has some qualities that yeah. are positive. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So moving up from there, at number 11, I have 46 long. Okay. Which... I think just kind of suffers from that second episode awkwardness a little too much. It has that weird cold open and it's like, and there's a lot of funny moments. I mean, as I said, like this is my 11th favorite, almost at the bottom of my list for the season. And yet it contains one of my favorite scenes from any episode of The Sopranos ever, where Paulie is uh, going on and on about the rape of the culture in the yeah, Starbucks. It's yeah. incredible. But overall, that episode just feels like it's from a much cheaper, more like sitcom-y version of the show. And when I look at all the other episodes over it, I'm like, all of these feel so much more like The Sopranos in being dramatic and also funny blending the tone so well i think this one just pushed a little too far into the comedy maybe and it's one of those second episodes too where i could forgive somebody for really liking the pilot and watching the second episode and being like oh no this is just like a regular tv show and if you fall off there then you miss so much greatness to come Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let me speed up with these a little bit. At uh, <laughs> number 10, I have Denial, Anger, Acceptance, an episode with a lot of problems, but uh, I really love the ending of it. Yeah. Um, I really love the cross-cutting between the recital and uh, the, you know, execution and the mock yeah. execution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, above that, I've got uh, Boca, a really oh. funny, really interesting episode. Uh, okay. with a great junior scene, but I don't know. I mean, it has some of that first season weirdness to it where it just falls just short of the episodes above it honestly it's it's hard to even like pin down you know why some of these episodes aren't as good so much as just that the others are so much better yeah for so many reasons yeah yeah uh right above that i've got uh meadowlands which is like i would say the best of the episodes that i don't think are great okay you know it's an episode that i'm like that's solid Mm -hmm. that is in unremarkably good episode of the sopranos which Mm -hmm. they have a lot of it has so many good scenes it has so many good performance moments it's such a great example of the show even when it's not a great episode there's a lot of great shit that you can pull out of it yeah Yeah. uh right above that i've got pax soprana which i think is a really well-directed well-acted episode it's i mean it's not a very exciting episode but man it just has so so many great scenes so much great performance energy an awesome montage to close out the end of it and then at number six i was really shocked that i put it this low because i always think of it as one of the best episodes of the season but at number six i have the pilot oh okay all right yeah which yeah is a really fucking a, strong mm-hmm, episode. I mm-hmm. mean, that was almost one half of the Sopranos movie, mm-hmm. where it's like that was almost one one of the two hours that we would have ever gotten. Yeah, of the Sopranos. The, I think that just goes to that speaks to the other the strengths of the other episodes. But keep going. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just how deep this bench is. Uh, above that, I have the episode we just talked about. I dream of Jeannie Cusimano coming mm-hmm. in at number five. A really, really fucking strong 
finale that would probably be the number one episode of most shows coming yeah. out at this time. Yeah. And yeah, but it's down at number five just because these other four I love so much more. Mm-hmm. At number four, I have The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti, yeah. which is such a fantastic episode. I almost regret not putting it higher because it's such a personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. But I also think... I think a lot of people wouldn't even rank it above the finale, honestly, because it's a more minor episode. But to me, that's just how much I love it, how much I love the way it focuses on Christopher and Polly. And uh, I think, again, it's a really, really well-directed episode. Mm -hmm. Then for the top three, and number three, I've got College, which... I fucking love. Yeah. But I think, again, speaks to the strength of this season, in my opinion, that a lot of people say college is the best episode of The Sopranos ever. That is the best episode they ever did. David Chase says that's their it's best his favorite episode. episode. Yeah. And I can easily think of two that I like better. Yep. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. that yeah. alone, I'm like, this is a pretty good fucking season. Mm-hmm. This is truly one of the goats. Mm-hmm. So, at number two, I've got Nobody Knows Anything, mm-hmm. just an absolute dramatic powerhouse i love every minute of that episode Mm -hmm. and uh again it's like it's insane that that isn't my number one (laughs) (laughs) because it's so fucking good and watching it just is such a charge it's such a awesome like moment of like oh man remember a fucking dramatic television remember like when things were this fucking good on a weekly basis on tv man uh it's incredible. And so, again, I, I said it last week, and I stand by it. Isabella, mm-hmm. my favorite episode of The Sopranos ever. Maybe it's partially just that it's one that I watched so much from such a young age because, you know, it's got cool action and, you know, these murders in it. But it's also just such a rich, weird episode with this, like, ghostly, surreal encounter that's mm-hmm. just presages so much of what the show would do moving forward. It's You can tell it's David Chase being like, I'm going to take one part New Hollywood. I'm going to take one part, like, weird Fellini-esque surrealist note and i'm gonna blend that in and uh i mean alan coulter's directing of that it's fantastic just sensational and i mean james gandolfini's work is unbelievable i mean so much of that episode is just staring at his distraught face while he looks like a total wreck and uh i couldn't be happier couldn't couldn't enjoy (laughs) doing that more let me tell you uh Uh, my favorite episode about depression ever (laughs) But yeah, so that's my list, man. Right. How about yours? All right, so here we go. So at number thirteen, I've got obviously. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Are are you gonna are you gonna stun me here? Are we gonna have an upset? <laughs> are you gonna pull a no fast upsets. one on me, bro? No, no upsets. <laughs> no upsets. In fact, I think our lists are actually quite similar. But I'm just gonna run through these. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So least favorite thirteen. We've got uh, a hit is a hit. No the surprises. People's champion. The, pe- <laughs> the people's champion. <laughs> All apologies to Bo Keem Woodbine. You are a fucking legend. You're a legend and a scholar. Loved you in Fargo. Amazing. Hell yeah. All right. At number 12, Down Neck. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Number 11, we've got Denial, Anger, and Acceptance. I would say that, again, my... When The Sopranos is tackling other cultures, I think that's probably when it's at its weakest. And so, yeah, I had to just go ahead and offer this one up. It's a real problem area. It is. I hear you. So we've got 11 at 10. I've got 46 long. I actually do like the cold open of that episode. 
It's just but so weird. It is weird that they would even have it open that way because the, the show never really does that ever again, I don't think. Nine, I've got Pax Soprana, which I think is, it, there's not too much going on in that, in that episode, but I do like the ending montage, and I do like the fact that it's a great reveal that the feds are you know surveilling this whole operation, and that even though you think things are ratcheting down, they're actually ratcheting up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah... I, it's, it's a, a solid episode. episode. Yeah, it's just, it, exactly, exactly. It doesn't have like the big moments of exactly. Boca, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah, I hear you. So I would say at nine, I have Boca. Perhaps I would have rated it. You know what? No, I've, I've, at nine, I've got Boca. I'm not going to say anything more about it. I do think that it's, it's a great launching point for the final four episodes. And just like the, the it fuels the junior Tony uh, rivalry for certain. And so it's great. Yeah. I would say uh, that's at nine, eight Meadowlands. That's got a great ending. I think just for all the reasons that you uh, enumerated. Yeah. And I'll just say that much. Um, So Meadowlands at eight, at seven, I would actually say I dream of Jeannie Kusumano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, speaks to how strong this fucking season is. That an episode with that many amazing scenes, like Mm -hmm. doesn't get higher on our list. It's not even in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. At six, I've got The Legends of Tennessee, Multisante. Five, I've got The Pilot. Again, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I, I had The Pilot at six. You have it at five. Our lists are pretty similar with like yeah. minor adjustments for taste. But like, that's wild that yeah. an episode that fucking good mm-hmm. is that low. Is that low. For yeah. both of us. Yeah. So I think I'm, I, I don't know if I'm uh, mixing up my numbers, but if I have, yeah, I apologize. So I've got The Pilot... Then at... Oh, is the pilot actually four? Pilot is four. Thank you. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Thank okay, you for okay. catching me. I thought yeah, I had yeah. something uh, mixed up there. Yeah, so the pilot's at four. At three, I've got Nobody Knows Anything. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you know, like, obviously, what my last two are. Um, yeah, and, but that's so Yeah, I know. Keep going, I know. Keep going. Uh, at two, college. Yeah. yeah. And at one, I've got Isabella. Ah. Yeah. Okay, this is fascinating. Oh, me, no. Because oh, I no. was so sure that I was banging this drum for Isabella, and you were like, nah, I'm a little skeptical. I don't know. Like, you're you're coming in with all your personal feelings about it, but I was sure you were going to say nobody knows anything was your number uh, one. No, no. I thought you were putting it ahead of everything, just no. based on your reaction. No. Huh. I've got Isabella at number one. Yeah, it's just masterfully directed. And I think it's like the appropriate culmination of good directing with yeah. good acting. And I, 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 oh, I, I so would cool, have to, man. yeah, wow. I would like, I might have to revisit it later, but um, yeah, that that's what it looks like right now. Dude, but, I, that is very surprising. Our lists are way closer than I thought. They I were. know. Yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. Like, and I would possibly even rearrange those top three. Like, I think you could say yeah. it is you, legit to say that nobody knows anything. College and Isabella, you could rear, those could be the top three in any order. Um, Any that, one of them could be number one. Mm-hmm, They're almost absolutely. three number ones. In they a really row, are. They really followed are. Followed by a four. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know what time it is, don't you? <laughs> oh. You know what time it is. Oh no. We're doing it different today, though. Uh, oh shit. Yeah. I've I've been dreading this. Yeah, we're switching it up. I've been scared. Up. We're switching it up, man. <laughs> oh fuck. It's what, not gonna. What do you have me name today? Oh, it's no. gonna be name that show. Yes. What? Yes, I'm going to give you the name or possibly the title of the episode, and you're going to have to name the show. Oh, fuck. These are uncharted (laughs) waters, everybody. He just 
flipped the fucking script oh, on me, boy. man. I'm giving you one easy one. I'm going to give you one okay. easy one. Yeah. All right. You got, right. in fact, you know what? I'll just give you the easy one first, right? Okay. All right, here we go. So instead, you're just going to name the show. Yeah. And I'm just I'm wading you... into these waters. You just, are. just gently to start. No. Right. Yeah, we're, we're All just, right. Yeah. All right. I, so I here appreciate we go. that. Wow. I'm reeling. <laughs> Seriously. All right, here we go. Yeah. All right. Made in America. Yeah, The Sopranos is there the final go. episode. Yeah. I knew you would. The do. other knew... one directed yes. by David Chase. There yes. we go. Yeah. I knew you would love it. All right, ah, of course. Good job. All right, on to number two. So this mm. is a season three premiere. It's titled oh. Out of Town. It's directed by an alum from this show, The Sopranos, mm. um, and a secondary character is outed when he's caught having sex with a busboy. Oh, this is Mad Men. It is. Yeah. It is. So is it that is. a Phil Abraham episode? It is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Ah. Great yep. TV show. Dude, there's a oh, there's a crane shot in that episode that is so incredible. Like going down a fire escape. Mm-hmm. The crane just like moves down the entire building. That show mm-hmm. is so beautiful. I was just thinking again. I was like, I need to rewatch that and decide if that isn't just my favorite TV show of all time. <laughs> like... <laughs> It's, it's a delicious TV show. So good. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. All right. All right. Last one. Mm. Here we go. Yeah. In the episode, The Color of Silk, Miss Rutherford searches for a new employer and a painting goes up for auction. Ooh. Miss Rutherford. Is this Downton Abbey? Nope. Oh, shit. A painting goes up for auction. Mm-hmm. Huh. What season is this can't tell you you. already no you can't tell me i can't tell you nope can't tell you the season oh no is it a premiere in the episode the color of silk miss rutherford searches for a new employer and a painting goes up for auction damn I want you to concede on this one. <laughs> you really? I really do. <laughs> you really enjoyed laying am, this yeah, trap for I me. I am. Mrs. Rutherford. Oh, my God. So. <laughs> oh, my any Christ. Any other hints? Nope. Any other hints? Nope. No hints. No hints. <sighs> and what does she do before she puts the painting <laughs> up for an auction? I'm not saying that she's the one who did it. Alex is sweating. She's blood not the right one now, who did it. She's not the one who did it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am making sure I look at Alex's oh face. Oh my god. When I tell him. <laughs> All right, you go for it, man. You were delighting in this too much. You I gotta... am. Yes. All right. So, there. So, in the episode The Color of Silk, Miss mm-hmm. Rutherford searches for a new employer and a painting goes up for auction. The title of the show is none other than Goodfellows. <laughs> oh my god of yes. course it was right there in front of me oh it was right there in front of me i, I am yes. i am so mad yes i am so mad i just binged so much of this goddamn show oh my god i was like i've just been up miss rutherford's ass all week and had no idea oh oh yeah, yeah, I mean, just 
<laughs> what can I say, dude? There's nothing you can say. You've Just been outplayed. A, a masterful coup de grace. It's true. I've been utterly outplayed. You've been outplayed. <laughs> Oh, wow man. i just sucked oh, you in on that one god well oh <laughs> <laughs> as always it is so enjoyable being humiliated and <laughs> and shamed by you this is clearly my kink i i just get so much out of it it's great i know you do uh, anytime yeah. man <laughs> sure sure but anyway i guess to conclude things i will just say we're um, going to be taking a little bit of a break, possibly slotting in a bonus episode. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, get ready for the next miniseries. It's going to be another first season, so yeah. you can start right at the beginning and watch along with us and be totally up to date and up to context and just have to watch out for the uh, random spoilers that we'll be throwing all over the place. Absolutely. But we are going to be doing the first season of Lost. Damon Lindelof yeah. and Carlton Cuse's Lost. Yes. Another absolutely revolutionary show that, unlike The Sopranos, where I think you could really fight over the best season, and we might have to come back to that. I got to say, I think Lost, everybody agrees, it was never more exciting than, than that first, first batch of episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So I cannot wait to start to tackle it with you, dude. We're going to enjoy it. Yeah, man. But uh, we'll get into that uh, next time. For now, I'll just say uh, we hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you then. Peace. Peace. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.